Yo, yo, what up everyone? This is your life coach, Jacob Sokol, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life. You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation, like you and me, who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose, while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. This interview is with one of the world's leading positive psychologists, Sonia Liebermersky. She's a professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of California, Riverside, and the author of the great book, The How of Happiness, a book of strategies backed by scientific research that can be used to increase happiness. In this interview, we're going to explore what happy people do differently. We'll also share with you some simple, scientifically proven insights for how to obtain real and lasting happiness, how to avoid overthinking and social comparison, how happiness boosts your levels of success, and what some of the common but huge misconceptions are about happiness. Hey, Sonia. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, I have a little bit of a confession, and it's that as I was putting this conference together um, and I started to craft my dream list of who I wanted to present at it, I was going over the notes recently, and um, after Brian Johnson, who is the person who's facilitating this conference, you are the number one person who I wanted to speak. So I'm beyond excited to have you here and just super grateful that you took the time and energy to join us today. Uh, Thank you. I'm so pleased to, to to do this. Okay, right on. Cool. So I'd love to introduce listeners a little bit more to you and your story, and I think it would be really cool if we could just start by perhaps you sharing some of the challenges that you faced as a young adult and how that led you to do what you do now. Hmm. Um, well, I have to say, I, I, what, I, what I do now actually doesn't really have anything to do with my personal life. You know, I'm a scientist, and I thought that it was really exciting and interesting um, to study happiness and really important to study happiness. So I that the the interest in happiness didn't really come out of the challenges that I've had, but but now that I do study it, it certainly helps me. Um, and so, for example, I was an immigrant, like many people uh, here in the U.S. when I, I came to the U.S. when I was 10 years old, um, and it was very very difficult for for my family and me. You know, we had very little money. You know, it was very hard to acculturate. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 those years, uh, kind of the teenage years, and were very challenging. Um, I think starting sort of in college, I think I became sort of happier and happier. I guess it only gets better, uh, right after that. Um, so yeah, so I, I think um, I think the, the what I know now um, uh, from the science of happiness, I I use in my sort of daily life a lot. You know about sort of how to really live in the present and sort of savor the moment and not be so kind of focused or stressed about what you have to do tomorrow. Um, I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned because I'm so future-oriented, um, and about you know coping with stress uh, as well is very very important because we all have adversity and stress in our lives, um, no matter how good our lives are. Um, you know the importance of gratitude and really keeping sort of you know looking at the big picture and sort of keeping things in perspective because we can get so you know I'm very interested in the phenomenon of hedonic adaptation, which is you know this idea that people get used to or take for granted a lot of the good things in their lives, and so we have to really like look at the big picture and, and try to express gratitude and appreciate um, the things that we that we have. 
Yeah, right on. Cool. So for everyone listening, Sonia wrote a book called The How of Happiness, which is a scientific approach to getting the life that we want. And what's particularly cool about the book is it, it draws upon, one is that you wrote it in a very um, humorous and enjoyable way to read, but it also the wisdom in it is based on scientific kind of empirical data that you guys have concluded. So it's not just a self-help book in the sense that here are some cool things that may work, but it's actually drawn upon research from more of a scientific perspective. And I think that's what is so fascinating, and that's why it's really um, so powerful and and catching, catching on. So I'd love if we could unpack a little bit more about what the book is about. And I know you break the book into three different parts, and I think it would be really cool if we could start just with the first part of the book. And Maybe you can give us an understanding of what happiness is and, you know, how do we go about it? Sure. Well, um, researchers define happiness as basically consisting of two components. There's sort of two parts to happiness. And the first part is the, the sense that your life is good, that you're satisfied or content with your life and sort of with the goal. You're progressing towards your life goals. Um, and the second part has to do with the emotions that you feel on a daily basis. Do you feel a lot of positive emotions? and infrequent negative emotions. If, if so, then you're probably a happy person. So you kind of need both of those components to be happy, both sort of the satisfaction with life and the positive emotions on a regular basis. Um, and so that's sort of what happiness is. And, um, and so I've been writing about, um, you know, the importance of studying happiness. I, I have a, the, I guess the, the book presents a theory of sort of what are the most important determinants of happiness. And so what I write is... Um, is that you know part of our happiness is genetic. We all know some people are happier than others. Part of our happiness comes from our life circumstances. Some of us are richer, some of us are poorer, some of us are married, some of us are you know single, some of us you know live in greater or horrible you know apartments or or countries or et cetera. Um, but uh, a great part of our happiness is determined by what we do on a regular basis, sort of how we think, how we behave. Um, every day of our lives. And so we, if we want to be happy, if we want to be happier, if we want to sustain happiness, there are things that we can do to be happier. Okay, awesome. And so how much of it actually, how much of our happiness actually comes from going after these um, kind of extrinsic incentives and rewards, the the new job, the new car, the um, kind of things that I think traditionally we go after and think will bring us happiness. But what is the percentage breakdown into these different categories? Sure. Well, you know, I, I actually, uh, since I wrote the book, I don't like to talk about the percentages because people take them way too seriously and they're really just estimates. Um, but what I, what I say is about 10% of individual differences in happiness are due to our life circumstances. You know, again, sort of how old we are, how rich we are, how, how beautiful we are, et cetera. Um, so that number is a lot lower than what people expect. But uh, one caveat is I'm talking about people who are sort of relatively, like who are doing fine, who are le- relatively comfortable. Um, if you are um, living in a country with war and corruption and instability, if you are very poor, if you are in a, in a really bad relationship, then those things are going to make you very unhappy. That's going to be a lot more than 10% of your happiness. So, so I'm not talking about those situations. I'm talking about situations where people are sort of relatively fine. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. And I think that's the situation that I found myself in is that I was in a pretty decent job and I was doing what I, what I thought I should be doing. I was doing IT consulting work, 24 years old, making enough money to pretty much do anything I wanted within reason. 
and decent social life. And I just felt like I was on this hamster wheel and I was running faster and faster and just getting more tired and tired. And it felt like that was what society and my parents and kind of everybody said I should be doing was going in that direction. But I felt like there was a lack of purpose and that more of the same wasn't the answer. And that's why your work was like incredible to come across because it felt like I was just focusing 90% of my time on those 10% of things that um, could perhaps I thought would increase my happiness. And then I said, holy crap, wait, there's some behavioral things that I can actually spend time focusing on myself and not so much on these holy grail chases and that that in itself would actually make me happier. So I'd love to talk more about what these happiness activities are and if you can explain just a couple and kind of how we can go about understanding and applying them in our lives. Sure, and I have to say, before I I answer that question, um, I have a new book coming out called The Myths of Happiness. And I have a chapter that is totally relevant to what we're just talking about. It's basically basically about jobs or work and about how a lot of people think, like, once they have a certain kind of job, then that'll make them really happy. But but what happens is sort of what happens to you, or, or sometimes we just sort of, First, we're sort of okay, you know, happy with it, and then we we just feel like we're you know we're not getting as much stimulation or satisfaction as we used to, um, and so I have a whole chapter about sort of what the research has to say about that, and sort of what you can do to either sort of make your job better or at, at some point sort of change your life and sort of change your path. Um, but anyway, um, the the strategies that people can use to become happier, you know, there's probably a hundred of them. Um, in my book, The How of Happiness, I, I divide into 12 pieces. So there's sort of 12 sets of strategies that people can use to become happier. All of these are based on research, so they're not just sort of off the top of my head. Um, and so, and, and, I, and I do what are called, and other colleagues of mine as well, we do what are called happiness interventions, which are like clinical trials, but instead of testing a new drug or a new treatment, we're testing, um, you know, happiness activity. So some of these strategies are things like expressing gratitude on a regular basis, doing acts of kindness for others, uh, meditating, um, doing physical exercise, forgiving others, um, investing in your relationships, um, savoring the present moment. Um, and I should say all of these can be done in different ways. You know, so for, for, for example, in terms of gratitude, some people like to sort of keep, keep a gratitude journal Others find that incredibly hokey, and, and you know, they, they don't like doing that, um, but they might enjoy sort of you know, talking to friends about sort of things that they, that they appreciate in their life, and that makes them feel really good. Um, so there's very different ways of, kind of you know, investing in relationships. There's a hundred, you know, thousand ways that you can improve your friendships, your relationships with significant others, your, your relationships with your parents, et cetera. Um, so, so again, there's lots of research on this. Not all strategies are right for everyone. So meditation, I think, you know, I don't actually personally practice meditation, but obviously it's like incredibly powerful for some people. Um, spirituality is actually is, is very highly related to happiness, but it's not for everyone either. Um, so you have to kind of choose the right strategy for you and also choose to do it in a way that's kind of most optimal for you. Awesome. Yeah, so then how do we go about figuring that out? How do we figure out what's right for us, and it may just be a trial and error thing, and then how do we kind of implement it in our lives so that we can benefit from some level of sustainable happiness and not just a short-term spike in happiness that then peaks back down or goes back down? What can we we do at that point? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not easy. I mean, you have to put a lot of effort into it. I mean, think about any goal in your life, you know, whether you want to 
progress, you know, sort of towards your career goals, uh, or you want to lose weight, or, you know, whatever goal you've ever had in your life, save money to travel around the world, you know, you had to put a lot of effort into those goals. So, so if you want to be happier, you, you have to put a lot of effort into that, too. So I guess you'd start by finding out, and it could be by reading my book, or it could be reading, you know, your uh, posts and, 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 and sort of brochure that you wrote about, sort of things people can do to be happier. Um, sort of find out what it is that are sort of, what are the kind of empirically supported strategies, and then, um, you know, pick the ones that you think you would enjoy and that you would feel natural doing and sort of start doing them and then kind of see what works. Uh, kind of like with exercise or dieting, you know, if something isn't working, you know, don't do it. Try it a different way. Get social support. Get kind of a buddy or a friend to help you or support you. Maybe you could do it together, kind of like a running buddy. Um, and then change, and then change it along the way. You know, if you're trying to express gratitude, but then it just like feels stale or sort of monotonous after a while, then change that. Do do it differently or do something else. Um, so because otherwise, as you say, um, Jacob, that you we kind of adapt or we sort of lose that 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 initial boost after a while. So we have to spice it up. Yeah, right on. Cool. One of the things that I get the feeling is that most of us feel like we need to be successful in order to be happy and that it'll work in that order, that mm -hmm. success first, happiness second. And I read a book by Sean Aker called The Happiness Advantage where he says pretty much the opposite. He says that our most commonly held formula for success is broken and that conventional wisdom holds if we work hard, we'll be more successful, and if we're more successful, we'll be more happy. And if we can just find that great job or win that next promotion or lose those five pounds, happiness will follow. But recent discoveries in the field of positive psychology have shown that this formula is actually backwards, that happiness fuels success and not the other way around. And when we are positive, our brains become more engaged, creative, motivated, energetic, resilient, and productive at work. So what's the deal? I mean, happiness first, success second? Is it something that you've experienced in your life? And kind of what, what can you offer on that? Well, I think it's, it, the answer is both, of course. It's both. Um, you know, happiness precedes success but also follows success. I mean, I think, you know, it was actually me and my colleagues who published this, this paper that first kind of made this, this conclusion that, that happier people are more likely to be successful, are more likely to be productive, to be creative, to be healthy, to, to, be, to get married, um, to, they're more likely to find marriage partners. Um, but, but even with that sort of paper, which, which I think had an impact on, on, other, on, on the readers, um, you know, we always said that the direction goes both ways. I mean, when you're, when you're happier, you're going to be more productive at work, you're going to succeed more. But then when you succeed, you, be, you become happier. So it becomes what I call an upward spiral, right? And then, then you're happier, then you'll, you'll be even more creative, and you'll make new friends, and that'll make you even happier. So, so yeah, that's a, it's just another reason why it's important to work on your happiness. It's not just about feeling good, because it's about, you know, accruing these really good things in your life. Yeah. What's your personal number one happiness practice? Um, you know, I think it varies on, on, on sort of, time phase or, or sort of the time period and as I said uh, I think it should vary because it's it's gonna otherwise it'll sort of become stale um I think recently it's been kind of mentioned um kind of focusing on the present like really trying to live in the moment more and savoring you know positive emotions um so like I have three kids and so when I'm with them it's very hard and I'm very busy but when I'm with them I really try to you know focus on like oh it's so much fun to play with my one-year-old 
um, you know, and not sort of worry about what I have to do tomorrow. So like really savoring the moment, whether it's like, I also love, I love food. So like really savoring eating, you know, whatever it is that you love to do. Um, so I, I really love that kind of like living more in the present. Are you feeling very present and, and alive right now during this chat? <laughs> well, sure. Well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Fantastic. My job is done. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. So, and then I'm curious also, based on what you know now, what's one of the things, maybe one of the top things that you know about happiness or life that you wish you knew as a young adult? Hmm. You know, I, I guess the biggest is just like the simplest, which is that, that, that you can make yourself happier. I mean, I think when I was a young adult, I was so focused on kind of my life circumstances. Like my family life wasn't so great. Um, and that, and I couldn't control that, right? Because especially when I was living with my parent, with my family, you know, you have no control over that, you know. Um, and I, I felt like I was not attractive, you know. Like I had all these, like I think I had fairly low self-esteem back then. And I just thought, that, well, that's that's life. Like I just did not think that that was under my control. And I think as an, you know, as an old, you know, as the older I get, the more I realize that so many things, I guess, more things are under your control than you think. You know, or you're in a relationship, or you're dating someone, and it's not going well, and you think, well, that's it. Like, like you just don't realize, like, you know, you could really have a lot of control in this. Or, you know, or you, you maybe you should break up and, and find someone better. You know, you just, you just have such a, when you're younger, you have, um, I don't know, I guess kind of like a narrower, more myopic perspective. Uh, and you have, it's harder to sort of see the big picture and see how life can actually really change and improve over time. And, of course, we hate it, like, when we're young, when people, when older people tell us, like, oh, don't worry, you know, things will be better when you're older because time doesn't go by that fast. Or you're like, great, you know, I don't want to wait years. <laughs> but anyway, so, like, having that big picture perspective, I think if I read something like The How of Happiness when I was younger, I think that would have really helped me to kind of see that big picture and see, like, all the things that I could do to, to be happier. Yeah, I, it's funny you were talking about, um, your self-image and kind of self-esteem and yeah. how you appeared back then. Uh, and it's interesting the kind of more research I do and the more reading I come across to understand about pop culture and how it really just bombards us with uh, superficial ideas about what it means to be um, beautiful and just the in in incredible, insane amount of pressure it puts on women and also men to conform to these un un unattainable definitions of beauty um, and just that whole thing has just been really interesting to understand and I think that a lot of young adults fall into that social comparison um, mm -hmm. aspect of, of it and that's one of the things that one of the 12 things that you talk about in the how of happiness is avoid overthinking and social comparison what kind of tactics or strategies can we use to actually implement that in our lives Right. Um, uh, yeah, there's lots of tactics we can use, and, and, and as you say, it's so important because, uh, yeah, I think younger people especially, they ruminate a lot, and they're thinking, oh, I'm not as beautiful as this person or, you know, whatever. I'm not as good at sports as someone else. Um, so, you know, some of them are really obvious kind of strategies. I have a whole chapter in the House Happiness about them, about how, for example, for rumination, you just, you, some people just kind of yell stop, you know. I mean, some people put a rubber band on their wrist, and when they find themselves comparing to others or ruminating, they kind of snap the rubber band and, and say stop, you know, which just seems kind of weird and a little, maybe a little hokey, but it works for some people. But really distraction and absorption in something else works really well. When you find yourself 
comparing, ruminating, obsessing, dwelling, you try to you know, divert your attention from that to whatever it is that works. Maybe maybe it's watching Homeland or whatever, or it's or it's playing basketball or you know whatever works for you. Calling a friend, um, you do that um, when you sort of come up with. And also sometimes there's sort of triggers our environment. Like for example, I, I remember I had a friend who whenever I saw her, I felt bad because I would compare myself to her. And and I just noticed, like, I, I just realized, like, I should spend less time with her. I mean, it was kind of, I don't know, kind of bad, I guess, to make that decision, but it made me feel a lot better about myself. Um, you know, so, you know, we, we sort of can recognize those kind of triggers. Okay, so awesome. So when we're noticing ourselves, perhaps when we're getting that self-awareness that, oh, crap, I'm, I'm doing the social comparison thing again, or I'm, my mind is just spiraling in a, in a negative pattern, it's do, do something else. So go play with a dog, go for a run, go take a right. shower, basically something just to break your state of where you are right now and just get you doing something else. Exactly. Okay, awesome. And that kind of ties into one of the other happiness habits that I wanted to talk about, which was developing strategies for coping. Can you just kind of mention what we can do in that realm and how that applies just in our lives? I think it's such a powerful one. Right, right. Well, you know, it turns out that people are very resilient, and we can cope with so much, so so much more than we even think we could. Um, we're we're much stronger, I think, than we think. And there's lots of strategies for coping. And, and again, I think it depends on on the person. Um, I think you know, like for example, taking the, a more positive perspective. Like, what can I learn from this? I actually often do this. Like, I I try to look on the bright side, but not in a really hokey way, but in a in a real way. I'll say like, you know, I learned a lesson here. Okay, I learned a lesson. And now I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, you know, or I, you know, gee, I learned who my real friends are from that situation. Um, so kind of taking that kind of perspective, like what have I learned? You know, how am I a better person because of this? Um, uh, you know, some people use humor. You know, they're very successful at that to cope. Um, for other people, other people use religion or spirituality. Um, social support is, is maybe the biggest thing. It's amazing how helpful social support is, you know, talking to a friend, a family member, uh, you know, playing with your dog um, can really help. I mean, I remember, in fact, I think I talk about this in my book, I once, you know, break, having breaking up with a boyfriend when I was younger and just being so devastated, just crying and crying, and, and I was like at a negative 10, you know, that day. And, and I talked to a friend, and I went to like a, a 3, you know, or negative 3, um, you know, just for like 45 minutes. I mean, it made me feel so much better. And so... Um, it really, yeah, social support is, is one of the biggest uh, sort of methods of coping. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a challenge that we face is that we I kind of isolate ourselves when we face challenges and opposed to opening up and speaking about them. Oftentimes we think that it's like the bigger thing to do or the more stoic thing to do is to just like, you know, say it's all good and kind of handle it by ourselves. And mm. oftentimes I think we confuse being vulnerable with being weak and that we don't allow ourselves to open up, and it can be, it can, because it in some ways can feel like it's indicative of our self-worth, and it's just, it's scary, and I know from my own experience, ha having that social support is huge. How, how do you think young adults can go about getting more of that social support, and, and when they look for it, what are some of the things to keep in mind that you think would be most beneficial for them to cope with some of the problems that they're facing? Sure, sure. And, and those are really all really, really good points you're making. Well, well I think, I guess that the key is to, to sort of develop and invest in your relationships so the, the social support is there. It's kind of like, you know, people who, 
they'll they'll start dating a new person and they're they're so kind of in, immersed in that relationship they they kind of cut off their friendships but then they break up yep. with that person and then hey they don't have any friends you know to to talk to about that so you have to really really like on a regular basis invest in your friendships or family relationships or whoever it is that you know is your best social support partner uh, or partners um, because then, then they'll be there, you know, when you need it. You have to kind of do it in advance. You can't wait until something bad happens. And and then, as you say, you know, I guess change your attitude that that you that. Yeah, and I think men, I think more likely than women, of course, I think have that perspective that they they yep. don't want to, you know, disclose like some some kind of weakness to to others. But you know, you don't yep. need to even have to. I mean, sometimes it's just certainly my husband does this. Like he'll. You know, he'll go, you know, for drinks with friends when when he's like, say, upset about something at work. He doesn't necessarily even have to talk to them about it, but it still makes him feel much better just to have that night out. So um, anyway, so there's just sort of different ways of doing it. You don't have to like sit around and talk about your problems to get social support. It could just be a matter of you know spending time with someone and having fun, and that kind of break, that positive. Because remember, positive emotions, as you know, Jacob you know, have like really, really important sort of downstream benefits, have a lot of really great effects. And so if you can create positive emotions in the midst of a challenge or a stress or an adversity, that can really give you a fresh, new, positive perspective, sort of energy to deal with that problem. Love it. I have such a huge smile on my face that mm-hmm. we're chatting and the wisdom that you're sharing. I'm beyond grateful and honored again just to <laughs> be having this conversation and getting this wisdom into young adults' lives. So I want to just talk about a little bit about the new book. Um, what, you know, what's it about? What are you excited about in regards to it? What can you share? I'd love to learn more. Sure, sure. No, the, so the new book is called The Myths of Happiness, and it's, it's out and published by Penguin Press. And yeah, I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's it's a little different. I think actually it's a great follow-up to the How of Happiness because it's not like, oh, the How of Happiness 2, but it's um, if you like the first one, you would like the second one. It's about, it's really about myths that we have about what we think will make us happy but doesn't necessarily make us happy. So, for example, you mentioned the, you know, sort of having a, having work, sort of a job that, like, you thought should be making you happy but it wasn't. Um, yep. And it sort of talks about different domains in our lives. So it talks about, relationships, um, and also being single. A lot of people think like being single is the worst thing that could happen to them. And I talk about research that shows actually that's not true. Single people are just as happy as people in relationships, and, and lifelong singles even um, are, are quite happy. Are, they sort of find meaning in their lives and in sort of other things other than sort of a partner. Um, I, I talk about a lot about work and about money, sort of the importance of money and, you know, uh, both having a lot of money and not having money. Like, what if you're broke? Can you be happy and broke at the same time? And I talk about ways that you can make that situation better. I talk about uh, getting older. I talk about regrets. You know, some of us, you know, including young people, like you think you always wanted to be a ballerina or you wanted to be an actor or an astronaut. And, and you come to a point, and it could be a pretty young age, where you realize you know, that's just not going to happen, or you wanted to play you know, for the Knicks or for the Yankees or whatever. That's just not going to happen. And so how do you live with regrets? So it has like all these different chapters on different you know, domains, that, you know, sort of different important kind of life transitions and sort of turning points. Um, and so I think everyone can find something. They, they don't, you don't necessarily have to read the whole book. Like, because there's like chapter on marriage, maybe that's not something that's interesting to you right now, but you you read you know the other chapters. So yeah, I'm very excited about it. 
Yeah, right on. Well, congratulations. And what was the piece of information or data that you came across during the process of writing that book that was most surprising to you? Well, yeah, it's always hard to answer that question because there's so many little and big things. Um, well, here's one, actually. <laughs> uh, let's talk about sex. Um, I have, a, relation, I have a, a chapter that talks about relationships and talks about how people adapt to sex. Now, I don't think it's going to be a shock to anyone that if you're in a relationship for a long time, you know, people adapt to having sex with their partner. They kind of, you know, it's not as exciting the, the tenth and the hundredth and the thousandth time than it was the first few times. Um, but I guess the surprising thing is that the women adapt faster than men. Like women want more variety, more novelty than men. Maybe it's not so surprising, but, um, but it's kind of interesting. Like they're not as into sexual activity as men are. I think we all know that. They don't fantasize it as much. They don't seek it out as much but they kind of need more excitement. So um, that's, that was kind of interesting. Do you, do you offer any coping strategies for that problem <laughs> in the book? Yeah, that's a really hard one. I mean, I do have a little section. I mean, every, every chapter does have a little section about, like, well, okay, what can we do? And there's some research that I talk about, um, like the importance of touching. It doesn't actually have to be sexual touching, but just like in a relationship when there's a lot of physical contact, even if it's just like little things, that can really enhance a relationship. Um, um, you know, there's various sort of little things I offer, but the, <laughs> there's not a lot. I mean, basically, human beings want novelty and variety when it comes to sexual activity, and so it's a, that's a hard thing to do when you're in a same relationship, in a really good relationship for for a long time. By the way, and of course, those kinds of relationships offer lots of other benefits. Uh, so, so you know, variety and novelty aren't the only important things in life, but but um, yeah, so there's, there's, I guess I, I offer fewer advice in that, less advice in that chapter than in others because there's just less research on it. Okay, well, um, I think that's a great way to wrap up the chat and <laughs> just appreciate you taking the time again. I'm thrilled that we got to connect and get some of your wisdom in front of the people who are listening and um, just want to honor you and thank you again so much. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Really fun questions. Good luck with everything. So let's take a look at a couple of my favorite big ideas from this interview. Big idea number one is climbing towards the peak. Now, positive psychologists describe happiness as consisting of two parts. One, meaning, and two, pleasure. In other words, the meaningful life is that in which you're fulfilled and progressing towards a place that you want to be. The pleasurable life is that in which you're feeling good and experiencing positive emotions often. Tal Ben-Shahar, who we're also interviewing for this virtual conference, has a great quote where he says, Happiness isn't about reaching the peak of a mountain or climbing aimlessly around it. It's the experience of climbing towards that peak. Big idea number two, 12 things that happy people do differently. So once we're relatively comfortable in life, about 50% of our happiness comes from genetics, from our DNA, kind of born that way. And about another 10% of our happiness comes from life circumstances, but approximately 40% comes from what we do. That means it comes from the behaviors and actions that you choose, and ultimately, you can make yourself happier because you can change those actions and behavior. It's under your control. Here's the list of 12 scientifically proven things that research shows happy people do differently. One, express gratitude. 2. Cultivate optimism. 3. Avoid overthinking and social comparison. 4. 
practice acts of kindness. 5. Nurture social relationships. 6. Develop strategies for coping. 7. Learn to forgive. 8. Increase flow experiences. 9. Savor life's joys. 10. Commit to your goals. 11. Practice spirituality. 12. Take care of your body. Now, Sonia points out that if you want to be happier, pick one of these things which you already enjoy doing, not the one that you think that you should be doing. And for a full description of these 12 things, plus ways you can start rocking them today, go to www.sensify.com slash 12 things. That's www.sensophy.com slash the number 12 things. Big idea number three, avoiding social comparison and rumination. So we know that so we know that ruminating when you're in a negative place is toxic. Same thing about social comparison. It doesn't lead to any good. So if you catch yourself comparing yourself to others, do something to stop. It could be as simple as literally yelling stop aloud. You could put a rubber band on your wrist and snap it. You could distract yourself with something else. You could call a friend, you could play some sports, you could you know, play with your dog or your cat, or take a shower, run some water over your hands, go for a run. Anything to take your mind off of what you're thinking about. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you, and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So, If you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast, and I'm excited to deepen our relationship, to get to know each other better over time, and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here, and we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple, and it is. Thankyoujacob.com, and uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.